Amen. Amen. We serve a risen Savior. <laughs> Man, it's good to see you. Look at this crowd. Just take a moment and look around. People celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, in the beginning, when the earth was formless and void, darkness covered the surface of the deep. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. Then there was sin and the earth went dark again. And when we crucified the son of God, darkness fell over the whole land. Darkness, evil, suffering, despair, seemingly covers our world. Indeed, why would we want to live in such a world? Or is there another way of looking at our world? I mean, Mark and the other writers of the New Testament would have us believe that something, something happened over 2,000 years ago that changed everything. With the last words of his narrative, Mark, the gospel writer, he, he tells us the story. And I, I, I want you to open your scripture there, if you would, this morning to Mark chapter 16. That's where we're going to be coming from in just a moment. Open your scripture, swipe your scripture, however you get your scripture. Uh, Mark chapter 16. In this story, you know, can you, can you hear them? Can you hear them? If you listen closely, it's the sound of the women's voices. In just a moment, the, you'll be able to hear what they have to say. They're going to say things like, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? They were probably thinking, you know, we should have thought about that before we bought all these spices. It's very early in the morning. But what are we going to do? Who's going to move the stone for us? Indeed, it was the women who were the last ones at the cross. And it was also the women who were the first ones to the tomb. The last to leave and the first to get there. And they became the first witnesses to the miracle of Easter. Mark chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. God's word says this. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so they might come and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away. Although it was extremely large, Verse 5, entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, do not be amazed. 
You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, look here is the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee and there you will see him just as he told you. They went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had gripped them and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Loving Father, I thank you for your word. And I ask even now, Father, that you would illuminate your word for us. Holy Spirit, you are our teacher, you are our guide, you convict us of all truth. Father, we just want you to be glorified in this moment. Father, that that you would be glorified in the Son, that Holy Spirit, you would glorify the Son. Father, that you would just move us where we are, from where we are to where you desire us to be. Father, that today we would each confess Christ as our Savior and Lord because of the resurrection. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You know, what we have here is the miracle of Easter. I mean, these three women, they are on their way and they came to the tomb and they earlier had looked on from a distance as Jesus was being crucified. And then after Jesus died, they, they watched as Joseph of Arimathea, he, he put Jesus' body into the tomb. And everywhere that they appear in his gospel, Mark emphasizes what the women see. And these women were the first to discover that the tomb that had contained the body of Jesus was now empty. But I want to make a point very clear. The empty tomb was not the miracle of Easter. But it does give evidence to that miracle You see, the miracle of Easter is the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. That's the miracle. The empty tomb points to that. It it does point to, to the resurrection. In fact, not one of the Gospels ever records that anyone believed or that anyone ever came to faith because of the empty tomb. Even as early as the Gospel of Matthew, uh, stories were circulating about maybe that the disciples had stolen the body of Christ and that the empty tomb does not produce faith, but it, it does serve as a powerful symbol of what happened that first Easter morning. So here you have Mary Magdalene, you have Mary the mother of James, and Salome. Now Salome, you might remember, is married to Zebedee, And he had two sons. Jesus called them the sons of thunder, James and John. Okay? So Salome was married to Zebedee. So she was married to a fisherman. But they all rose together early on that first day of the week. And they brought spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Not for a dignified man who is in good standing. But for someone who died as a criminal. Someone 
who died as a crucified man. Since there were certain things that they couldn't do on the Sabbath, the women had to wait till the first day of the week. They had to wait till the Sabbath ended. And so on Sunday morning, they went to anoint Jesus's body and they, they waste no time. They spring to action and eagerly they make their way to the tomb, the place of death, hoping to just bless that place of, of immense sorrow with just a little bit, a small scent of comfort. You notice Mark in verse two also adds kind of an unnecessary detail that the women come to the tomb after the sun had risen. Wait, wait, maybe, maybe the rising of the sun signals another kind of sun rising. I mean, I don't know. I see what you did there, Mark. But the women expect that they will need some help moving the stone. But they don't know where it's going to come from or if it will come at all so early in the morning. Still, they make their way to the tomb. I want to pull the truck over and park here for just a moment, okay? Sometimes we think long and hard about everything that could go wrong with a plan, and then we try to plan for every contingency. In some cases, we're paralyzed by our own planning, We might even give up on a plan entirely because of everything that we think could go wrong with it. The women, on the other hand here, they were so taken by Jesus. They so adored him. They they, they so wanted to honor him. They didn't stop to consider the flaws in their plan until they were already on their way to the tomb. They were simply carried away by their desire to honor Jesus. Then once they became aware that they didn't have the ability to do what they needed to be done, they they didn't turn around and throw their arms up and run back to the house. They continued on the path. So listen, don't let everything that could go wrong keep you from honoring Jesus. Don't worry if there's a stone in the way, so to speak. If you will keep your eyes on Jesus, if you will keep focused on him, much of life will take care of itself. Because if you see him, if you truly see Jesus, what you see will inspire you to honor him. Now, when you seek to honor Jesus and you don't know exactly how you're going to be able to do it, watch what God does Next. (laughs) You see, you need to understand this. God is eager to help those who want to honor his son. They were going to honor him, and so God moved this stone out of the way. If you honor the son like the women who came to the tomb, you're going to see amazing things happen. You might not see an angel. But you'll see evidence that evil has been defeated, that Jesus has risen from the dead, that he's ascended to God, and that he is Lord of the world. That Jesus Christ is Lord. See, the help we need to honor Jesus will be rendered in often surprising ways. (laughs) God moves huge stones, 
huge obstacles out of the way when we want to honor his son. So moving on here, to their surprise, they found this stone (laughs) rolled away. They found the stone rolled away. They found the Savior risen, and they saw an empty tomb. And it's in this moment that we get the message, the message of Easter. But the tomb is not altogether empty. Because as they entered the tomb, they saw this young man dressed in a white robe, sitting there on the right side. I mean, what is this guy doing in the tomb? They came to anoint his body. Before he even opens his mouth to speak, the young man, the angel, is signaling simply by his presence new life and victory over evil. (laughs) He's sitting there in the tomb, all calm and collected, He's signifying the resurrection. He's ascent, uh, the, the ascension of Jesus to the, to the Father, the enthronement of the Son of Man, who even now, as the women are standing there dumbstruck, they cannot say anything because they're so in awe. They are so shocked and, and, and amazed by all of this. They're looking into the face of an angel coming in the glory of his Father with the holy angels, Mark eight thirty eight says. But these women, they they became frightened, but the young man assures them. He reassures them. He's here to proclaim the message of Easter, and the the angel knows what the women want, what or actually who they want. They're looking for Jesus. And and I think it's amazing. It says there in verse um, verse 6, it says, Do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene. The angel calls Jesus the Nazarene, a nickname that the servant girl in the courtyard used for Jesus in a judgmental way before he was brought to the Sanhedrin. And from the standpoint of the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem, Jesus was simply a would-be usurper, one wanting to take over from the backwater town of Nazareth. This angel calls him Jesus the Nazarene, but there's something quite different that he says about Jesus the Nazarene. He says, he has risen. He is not here. He has risen. He is not here. They were looking in the wrong place. See, the belief that a man rose from the dead two millennia ago and that he lives today through the Holy Spirit in the hearts of his followers is an insult, is a slap in the face to the age of reason. Because we in our minds know. We know these things. We're so smart. We figured this out. Listen to the young man. He says, do not be amazed. And sure, be amazed in the way that you're supposed to when something amazing happens. But don't be amazed in a way that discounts the possibility that something amazing could happen. I mean, many people don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth simply because of the premise, people don't rise from the dead. People don't rise from the dead. Of course, they have a vested interest in not believing that Jesus rose from the dead because if he rose from the dead, 
then he's Lord. And if he's Lord, then we have to answer to him. For many others, a thorough investigation of the evidence has led them to believe the young man when he said, he is risen. See, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, or at the very least, if his first followers didn't believe that he rose from the dead, no one, absolutely no one would be following him today. But the fact remains, Jesus has billions of followers today because he rose from the dead. See, this young man proceeded to give them the message of this first Easter. He offered them a word of faith. He said, he has risen. He is not here. I mean, the women so desperately needed to hear that. They, they adored Jesus. They, they, they loved him. They walked with him. They talked with him. He, he forgave their sin. He had done so much for them. They desperately needed to hear a word of faith. Those words of faith, he has risen. Those three words form the core of the Christian faith. He has risen. And in these women, so intent on anointing a dead body, I mean, that's a nasty job. Think of it. Most people here would not want to do that. But out of their love for him, they're willing to put themselves through that so that they could honor him. They needed these words because it gave them the needed strength to renew their faith. Maybe you need strength today to renew your faith. No doubt their faith had been shaken. I mean, how deep their depression must have been as they watched Joseph place the body of their Lord in the grave. And now the messenger had given them new words of faith. Folks, we desperately need to hear these words of faith today. I mean, the world is so full of skepticism and cynicism. Our world needs this faith. He is risen. But notice also the messenger gives them not only a word of faith, but also a word of love. (laughs) Go. Tell his disciples and Peter. Oh, what great love. Think about this. The Lord was left high and dry. No, when he got arrested, they they scattered. They didn't want nothing to do with him. He was denied by Peter, the one who was said, I will die with you. But even now, Jesus risen, refused to leave them or deny them. You can almost feel the love just just pulsating in those words because Jesus was offering reconciliation. He was offering forgiveness to those who least deserved it. See, we need to hear that word of love, a word of unconditional love, which only the man of sorrows can say. Here is sacrificial love at its highest point, at its supremest state. Here is a word of love for the loveless, the lonely, the misfit. See, I would submit to you this morning, if Jesus can love the disciples like that, 
then he can love me too. Then he can love you too. See, the message of Easter, even if it contained nothing else, it holds that word of love and forgiveness for a world that's torn with division, hate, and conflict. But the message of Easter also carries a word of hope. This is interesting. Stay plugged in here. This young man tells these ladies, he says, he is going ahead of you in Galilee. Just as Jesus led the way to Jerusalem, the place of suffering and death, he's also leading the way to victory. Folks, there is hope in his presence. In his presence. I mean, we can't go anywhere where he has not already gone ahead of us. He goes out there ahead of us. His presence is always ahead of us. But notice that he tells them he's going to Galilee. He is going ahead of you to Galilee, and there you will see him. See, Galilee represents a place of power. It represents a place of new beginnings. It was in Galilee that Jesus performed his greatest miracles. It was in Galilee where Jesus calmed the storm. It was in Galilee where he fed thousands of people. It was in Galilee where he commissioned his disciples and sent them out to preach the word and to cast out demons. It all took place in Galilee. Galilee represents the hope of starting over, the hope of a second chance for the disciples. And Galilee represents the hope that the power of the gospel will be restored. But there's also the promise. There's the hope of a promise fulfilled. If you read back in Mark 14, verse 28, Jesus says, But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. So then, the man in the white robe, the young man in the tomb, you're looking for Jesus. He's not here. He has risen. Behold, here's the place where he lay. But go tell his disciples and Peter he's going to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. <laughs> I will see you in Galilee. They didn't even need to go to the tomb. They should have went to Galilee. See, in a world filled with broken promises and shattered dreams, there's a tremendous hope found in the promises when they're kept. And God's word is filled with the promises of God for every believer. So the message of Easter contains a word of hope for all those who are lonely, forsaken, those who are powerless, those whose sins are unforgiven, for all of those who live in dread and despair and hopelessness. The message of Easter is filled with faith, love, and hope. See, our world needs to hear that as badly today as those ladies did at the tomb. I'm almost finished. We've got the miracle of Easter, the message of Easter, but also the mission of Easter. 
You know, the best manuscripts of the Gospel of Mark, they end after verse 8. But then you have verses 9 through 20. And scholars generally agree that those verses were added by the early church to provide closure for the gospel. I mean, think about it. Think about what Mark is saying here and how abruptly he ends. I mean, regardless of whether the gospel ends at verse 8 or verse 20, what we have is an unfinished story. All of the other gospels go into great length telling the story. Mark, it's kind of an unfinished gospel. We don't know from the gospel of Mark if the women ever delivered the message to the disciples. In fact, we're led to believe that maybe they didn't because it says they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Well, of course, we know from the other gospels and from the history of the church that the disciples did, in fact, get the message. And we don't know that from Mark's gospel because Mark's gospel is an unfinished story. But understand this. The gospel is always an unfinished story. The message of Easter is the mission of Easter is to share the miracle and the message of Easter. And the only ones who can finish the story are those that are gathered here. I mean, each one of us writes his or her own ending to the story. And I think that maybe that is what Mark had in mind. But here's the deal. Let me just boil this all down and I'm done. Either we remain silent as we have so many Easter's before and say nothing as the women did, or we follow the instructions to go and tell. It's as simple as that. The decision is as simple as that. So the mission of Easter is unfinished and will remain unfinished until everyone has heard the old, old story of Jesus and his love. I want to be one that goes and tells. I want to be a purveyor of that faith, of that hope, of that love. I want to be the one giving that away. Each one of us needs to be a part of that. We say, Lord Jesus, come quickly. But he's not going to come until everyone has heard and had a chance to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Loving Father, I thank you for this time and I thank you, Father, that you raised Jesus from the dead. And the same power that raised him from the dead on that day will raise me. And Father, that, that you have given us the promises of your word. And Father, every promise that you have given in your word about Jesus has been fulfilled. And we know that we, we serve a risen Savior. And he's coming back one day. And Father, I pray that you would help us to prepare and to do the things that we need to do now. Father, I pray that we would go and tell. 
Father, we all know people who have never responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we need the faith. We need the faith that that you bring to renew our faith in you. Father, we need to, to experience that unconditional love, that amazing grace. We need to experience our sins forgiven. Father, those motives of our hearts, the things that we do, what will free us from the bondage of sin, it is the blood of Jesus Christ. Father, your word says that if we will acknowledge him as our Savior and Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved if we confess him. So, Father, I pray that we would do that. Father, I ask that that everyone who can hear my voice would respond in faith to you today. Maybe it's for the first time. We've never invited you into our heart. Maybe it's pressing a little deeper into that relationship. Maybe it's, Father, we want to know you better. We want to follow you in baptism. Or maybe it's just, Lord, my faith has has gotten cold and hardened by by the world. So renew my heart. Give me a heart of flesh and not a a heart of stone. So Holy Spirit, I pray that even now that we would embrace Jesus as Lord, not only of this entire universe and this world, but Father, that we would embrace Jesus Christ as Lord of my life. Father, we ask that you would make it so by the power of your Holy Spirit as you speak and draw our hearts to you. Father, we love you. Guide us in Jesus' name. Amen.